Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word today, your gospel, we ask that you would give us understanding, that you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, open our ears, and let us hear your word directly from you. Lord, we ask you to bless this time and help us to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the context for our gospel passage today in Mark is the same as the context of the gospel reading in Matthew last week. It is Jesus' disciples pointing out to him the magnificence of the stones and the buildings of the temple that was so central to Jewish worship in Jerusalem. Well, this all meant little to Jesus then, especially knowing that he, the creator of all, to whom worship in the temple was meant to point to, would be crucified soon. As he was nearing the time of his crucifixion, he also knew that his crucifixion meant the destruction of the Jewish temple was imminent. And here Jesus wanted his disciples to realize the insignificance of it all compared to him and eternity. So he tells them the facts about the future of that magnificent temple, that it's all going to be torn down, raised to the ground. And that really disturbed Peter, James, John, and Andrew, who asked Jesus privately when that would all happen. And Jesus again, downplaying it all, turned the conversation more in the direction of what will happen to them in the future, persecution, and what they will need to be watchful of, being deceived. He said, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Well, what was he talking about? He was still with them. Did they even understand that he was going away? Well, from the rest of the gospel, they obviously didn't. In Jesus' talk with them there, he does briefly tell them that there will be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, famines and troubles, but not, but he tells them not to be troubled by such things. As he says, those are just the beginnings of sorrows. What would be more urgent than any catastrophic world event is their own personal state of affairs and their continual carrying out of their orders from Jesus, their master, as they wait for his return, even though he hasn't left them yet and they don't know what he is talking about yet. Jesus himself is very aware that he will soon be going away from his disciples and he knows that he and his disciples will soon be going through a tremendous trying time. He had begun sharing that 
with his disciples way back in chapter 8 of Mark when he first told them of his impending death. Back then he had said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But who in their right mind would have wanted to follow Jesus to the cross, to death? unless there was more to it than that. And of course, the disciples didn't understand it all yet. And there was more to it, of course, a whole lot more. There was resurrection and eternal soul stuff. As Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whomever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Well, there you have it, when he comes, that's when he comes back. There was more to it because after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Jesus would return to earth in the glory of his Father. But the disciples at that time, as I said, had no idea of what Jesus was talking about. As I said from the beginning of his ministry, right to the end, Jesus had spoken about it, and he had spoken about the persecution that his followers would experience so as to prepare them too. He had said in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So good company, and of course every Jewish boy looked up to those prophets. Well, Jesus also said in John 15, because you are not of the world. He said this to his disciples. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And here, back in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells them the same thing, but even being more specific. After he admonishes them not to be troubled about all of the catastrophic world events to come, Jesus says this, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So his return would not happen until that happened. 
And, and that is actually what Jesus wanted his disciples to focus their attention on at this time, not when this destruction and all of these world uh, events would happen, but on their duty of preaching the gospel to all nations. He was preparing them for that. And Jesus was saying to them, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. All these things are going to happen to you. But he does tell them that they will have the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, he says, when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes on in verse 12, brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So in the end, it's all about salvation and not of salvation of, of the physical life necessarily, but the salvation of the soul. That's what's important. And Jesus does say a little more about the coming days of tribulation to these disciples that asked him, but he shows them that God is in control even of all that. In verse 20, he says, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And that is why we Christians need not be overly concerned about all these type of events because God our Father is always in control. Well, then again, Jesus brings it back to his disciples being watchful and vigilant so as not to be deceived by false Christs. In verse 21, he says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. So Jesus was speaking to his disciples then, but also, and likely more so, he was speaking to his disciples today, to you and I here. Do you think that his inner circle of disciples back then who spent three years in this close intimacy with him would be fooled by a false Christ that came after him or or a false gospel after Jesus left them, having known the real Christ? Not likely. But what about his disciples today? Much more likely, especially if they are not very familiar and intimate with Jesus. How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know his gospel? How much time do you spend reading his words, allowing his word to penetrate your soul? How much time do you spend communing with him in prayer? Are you susceptible to falsehoods? 
You are if you neglect time with Jesus. It is very important to know Jesus deeply these days so as not to be deceived. And it is also important to be prepared to suffer for his name's sake before his return. Times are getting close. And finally, it is vitally important that we be found about his business when he returns. Those are the three things we need to concern ourselves with more so than the catastrophic world events that are happening around us that only signify the nearness of Jesus's return. Because Jesus says, after all, that the day, that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So instead of being overly concerned, uh, even today with COVID, we should be more concerned about those three things. Knowing Jesus, being about his business, and being prepared to suffer for his name's sake. Jesus said, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Well, is that what you are doing today? Watching and praying. Are you doing what Jesus told us to do? That's the question I, I ask you today, to examine yourselves as, as we look toward his return. That's what he wants us to do in this Advent season and always as we wait for his return. Well, then Jesus told a short parable in relation to his second coming, saying, It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. The man or the master of the house is Jesus. The far country is heaven. The house is his church, Jesus's church. The servants are Jesus's disciples, both then and now. And each of them has his assigned work, getting out the gospel to all nations with authority from Jesus and to pray. The doorkeepers of the house are likely the pastors and elders. Jesus himself says in verse 35, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So he was not just saying it to his inner group of disciples that day. He was he's saying it to all, to everyone, all of his disciples. And as your pastor today, I say to you, watch, watch and pray. Our master, Jesus, is returning, perhaps very soon, and he expects all of us, his modern day disciples and servants, to be about his business the business that he left 
us with. It's the same business that he left his original group with. It is getting to know him more and more and sharing his gospel with all nations in his authority and in his anointing and praying and doing his works in his name and his power. Especially now in this time of world crisis, we must not be sleeping on the job. We have to be in his word and his spirit. We have to watch and pray as he told us to. Be prepared to be confronted and ridiculed and persecuted when, when you do so, however. But when you do the things that he tells you to do, knowing that you may be persecuted, you will know also when it happens that Jesus is with you and will reward you with even more of his Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So what a great blessing is promised when we are persecuted. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Thessalonian Christians, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know the kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that, that word that is preached actually sticks when there's much affliction. That's 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 6. People, and people receive the gospel um, best in times of much affliction. So, so be ready in such a time as this. Don't shrink back even when persecution comes. Remember, God's blessing will be far greater than any suffering that we might endure for his sake. I've suffered very little for the gospel uh, in my life compared to the followers of, of Jesus back then and compared to my brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. But I remember one of the few times uh, that I did uh, uh, suffer a little bit when I was spoken against and slandered for, for standing up for God's word. I remember once when I was on the train, I, I noticed that I was getting a cold shoulder from two people uh, from a church that I had um, assisted in, who I thought were friends. And I moved in uh, next to them and confronted them because of that uh, to see why. And they told me that the lead pastor of the church I had served under had preached a sermon the past Sunday against me because of an article I had written that was published. And he and some others had said some slanderous things against me, causing them to distance themselves from me. 
Well, we talked until my, my train stop uh, came and I stepped off the train into the darkness. And despite all of the lies that I learned were set against me, I suddenly had an overwhelming sense of joy from the Holy Spirit, realizing that I had had the privilege to suffer for my Lord. And I nearly skipped home to tell my wife what happened. I was so excited. Later on, when I was terminated from my position and had to leave my comfortable West Island home, though I knew it was coming, it was not quite as joyous or easy for me and my family, but still I would not trade it for the best position and, and home in the diocese that I left. God sustained us and helped us through that time. And though it seemed to take a, a long while for God to give us joy in that, he has blessed us tremendously since. And I'll be sharing some of that soon with you in another sermon. But of course, the biggest blessing that we experience is the blessing that our children, through all of those forced changes and disappointments in their lives, are all loving and serving our Lord today, seeing his faithfulness through all of it. And you can't get a bigger blessing than that, can you? In Mark 10, 29 to 30, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's what it's all about. And Jesus is faithful to fulfill his word always. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your words, your promises, your words that the Holy Spirit can bring back into our minds anytime when we put them in to our minds in the first place, Lord. So tell, help us to be diligent, Lord, to spend our, our precious time with you each day, Lord. You speaking your word as you did to your disciples back then, to us, your disciples today. Lord, help us to be faithful, Lord, with the work that you've left us to do, to share your gospel with others and to continue to pray, Lord. And Lord, help us not to shrink back from our duties, these duties that you left us to do when we are persecuted, but to expect it and to know that you are with us in all of these things and that your blessings are far greater than any suffering that we will ever have to face because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.